tall grass grows long about eleven, the magic flows. All through the meadow, shadows dance in time with the music. Take my hand and run into the night. We'll sing a hundred songs of life and we'll stay till we smell like fire. Lay down in the heather tonight. Chapter five. I take a swift drag and hand the joint back to Jake. Euphoria crawls up my body. <sighs> I relax into a plush sofa in the living room at the Devil's Cabin. With the front door and the window above the couch open, a divine late afternoon cross breeze tickles my face. Inspired by Rex, I've decreased my intake of drugs and alcohol over the past few months while increasing my intake of yoga. Clarity has been doing me right, but the experience of getting high with Jake is one I can't pass up, no matter how enlightened I've become. I relish the switch in perspective marijuana provides. I'm intrigued to view this budding relationship through a fresh set of eyes. We fall deep into conversation. I'm getting off on speaking with someone who catches my drift. Jake finishes my thoughts and it blows my mind. It's heavenly to speak candidly to a fellow artist. I'm still not sure what Jake's accomplished, but I'm certain every moment spent with him is a learning experience. My horizon expands as we pass the joint. Jake alludes to his past music career, but he's clearly focused on his goals for the present and the future. When I give you one of my CDs, you'll see I've put little out in the past 20 years. And what have you been doing? My inquiring mind wants to know. I was raising my dogs. The wistfulness of Jake's voice could tug at the darkest of hearts. Now that they're gone, I guess it's time to raise myself. Focused on a tight shot of Jake. I pull back and gain a wider view of the man and his environment. The rustic, dark wood cabin nestles into the canyon. The sun's rays fight their way through trees, over hills, and between telephone wires to filter through the window above a hunter-green velvet sofa. A pair of cowboy boots stands by an empty brick fireplace, and a lone cowboy sits on the sofa with his socked feet perched on the table and his elbows propped on his knees. Books of beatnik poetry and philosophy loom from built-in bookshelves as the cowboy mourns the loss of his dogs. Through my stoner-glazed eyes, the scene is surreal. The mere fact I'm hanging out with this mysterious man in the devil's cabin mystifies me. People in my world have been nudging me for a while now. Jake breaks into my thoughts, wondering what I'm gonna do next. I've known the time's coming to dive back in. I guess I've been putting it off. That's what we do as writers, right? That's what I do. Well, the time is here, and we're here to help each other. Joyce sweeps my body. Yes, we are here to help each other. What's your goal, Jake? My goal is to have completed another album and a compilation of poetry by this time next year. His eyes dance. Maybe two albums. What a lovely goal. Thanks. One of the biggest proponents of me putting out this next album is Martin Scorsese. Jake reels me in a few notches. Do you know who he is? My heart does jumping jacks at the mention of the famous director. My jaw gapes and I snap it shut. Jake caught me off guard again. Do I know who Martin Scorsese is? Please. Doesn't he know I'm a wannabe movie star? Uh, 
Yeah, I think I've heard the name, I say sarcastically. Quit with the baiting, dude, I think. I guess I should show you some of my work, Jake stands. Please do. Am I finally going to find out who the hell this guy is? I resisted my impulse to cyberstalk Jake when I got home from our first lunch. I want to discover him through him, not the internet. Jake saunters to a cabinet on the wall. He pulls out a CD and hands it to me. My mouth dehydrates even more. As if he reads my mind, Jake steps into the kitchen. I inspect the CD. On the front cover is a close-up photo of a young Jake Easton's face. He wears a scowl complemented by a nasty scar above his left eye. His defiant blue eyes say, Cross me, I dare you, with his name stamped across the top. I flip the CD over. Produced in 1985, it's a compilation of songs Jake has written or co-written. My eyes scan the song titles and names of other musicians credited. I see the bigger picture. Every name listed is one I recognize as having legendary status in music history. I've heard most of the songs, and I'm fairly certain several of them were enormous hits in the 70s, notably the ones by the Troubadours, the most famous band to emerge from the Laurel Canyon scene. Jake has taken a hand in writing all 20 tracks on the CD. On several, he's also played guitar, and on a few, he's the performer as well. A variety of famous artists have recorded the other songs. Inspecting the back of the CD, I'm befuddled. Yes, I am stoned. So perhaps the situation exaggerates in my mind from a 2 to a 10? I'm not sure. Shit, I'm high. I'm tripping on being here with Jake as my eyes trail to a quote at the bottom of the CD. Jake Easton is the infamous fifth troubadour, Martin Scorsese. Holy fuck. Jake sets a frosty glass of water on the table in front of me. You're a saint, I gush, and add self-consciously. I mean, for the water. Shit, I'm such an idiot. I take a long, cool drink to calm my burning cheeks. Sorry, I say. Don't be sorry, Jake sits next to me. I don't get this, I blurt. What don't you get? Well, I guess I don't know much about music, but don't most of these songs belong to the troubadours? His chuckle is sarcastic. I guess we all feel they belong to us, and they do. We wrote them together. Are you a troubadour? I embarrass myself further. Jake grimaces as he considers my question. A troubadour is a poet who puts verse to music. I guess you could call me that. Shit, did I touch a nerve? I lean back and inhale deep yoga breaths. I feel stupid as fuck. That sounds therapeutic. Jake joins me. We breathe together on the couch. Set to a backdrop of chirping birds and rustling leaves. The breeze mingles with our rhythmic breathing. And this guitar singing songs the way they feel. Into the night, they tell a hundred tales of life. We'll play till we smell like fire. We lay down in the heaven. I went to Coachella in April, I say. Music festivities in the desert? Hear anything good? Nothing grabbed me. I was with a group of young people my age, dating one guy. 
but I felt out of place. Oh, how do you mean? I was out of touch with the scene. They were all dancing for hours on ecstasy. They couldn't get enough, and I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. The second day I refused to go, I stayed back at the condo writing, while they went for another eight hours. On the way back to L.A., the guy I was dating told me I hate music, and I felt like I needed to defend myself. I said, I love music so much it makes me cry. And he said, so what? That means nothing. You just stood there in your own world, disengaged from the whole vibe. So what does that mean, I asked. Maybe I'm into different music. Who would you wait in line to see, he asked. Jim Morrison, I told him. Jim Morrison is dead, he said. And I said, that's why he'd be worth the wait. It'd be a goddamn miracle. See, he repeated, you hate music. I said, no, I love music. I just love it differently. I don't need to stand in a field a mile away from a band in order to connect with music. I'd rather listen to a CD in my bedroom and create my own experience. And besides, I don't wait in lines for anything. Jake listens with an amused grin, like he's jotting down mental notes. Sounds like a hell of a romantic weekend. It was eye-opening. By accusing me of hating music, that dude switched to flipping me. We drove home in complete silence. That's always pleasant. He made me realize I had closed myself off to music, and I need much more of it in my life. But I'm not going to find it drugged out at the back of a field watching Beastie Boys. And I'm certainly not going to find it with him by my side. I cock my head. Sometimes I think I should have been born in a different time. Maybe you have an old soul. Maybe you just know good music. Definitely you belong in the front row, my dear, not at the back of a field. You still dating this guy? Not after the you hate music speech. I think that was a wise choice. Do you like Pink Floyd? Who doesn't? Some people don't care. I knew I was different in ninth grade, watching The Wall on an acid trip with some friends. We were watching because it was the thing to do, you know? Obviously. I analyzed it and understood it explicitly, and I realized none of the others did. That's what scared me about The Wall, not the content. It made me feel different. You're like clay, Sicily, yearning for molding and striving to find your own form. Oh, wow. Speaking of ninth grade, Jake stands up. I've got some homework for you. He walks to the corner of the room and picks up a leather duffel bag. Ah, that's another thing I need. He throws his hands up like a mad scientist. I need a backpack. I need a good old-fashioned backpack. He shakes the leather duffel bag. I'm sick of toting this thing around. Jake tosses the bag on the couch and pulls out a pile of journals and notepads. He selects one journal and unties the strings, flips through the pages, a reverent task he's performed a million times. Shit, he's turning me on again. My mouth waters and I reach for my glass. The anticipation of reading Jake's words on those pages titillates me. The image of the artist's hands on his tools is torturous. I've always considered a man's hands and... The way he uses them to be suggestive. I cross my legs. I've been using the same journals for ten years, Jake shares. I never would have guessed. I have a handful of these leather covers. I replace the pads as I fill them. He slips the pad out of the cover in demonstration. He's teaching me his meticulous methods. I have loads of these pads, filled with writing. 
20 years worth. He wraps the pad back into its cover and hands it to me. I accept it preciously and flip through the pages, feeling its weight and glimpsing Jake's chaotic, angular scrawl. I'm afraid to dive in, yet challenged by the idea of decrypting this madness. I gasp as my eyes stop dead on one line. I tilt my head up slowly from the page and recite Jake's words. I almost know why I'm alive. My gaze reaches Jake's at the end of the phrase and stabs into his eyes. Tension in the room intensifies and it's bursting with intimacy. He's sharing his writing with me. My heart pounds so hard it vibrates my words. So is this mostly poetry or lyrics? He shrugs. You tell me. Oh, yeah. Is there a difference? I ask. Creative wheels spin in my mind. Depends who you ask, I guess. I haven't found one. Please let me know if you do. Jake laughs. Songwriting is a way to make money writing poetry, I proclaim, as if I'm Columbus announcing my discovery of America. That's one way of looking at it. Good songwriting borrows from and lends to poetry. I'm not in the practice of repeating a second-rate line with a third-rate concept and an only slightly better melody ad nauseum in order to hypnotize my listeners. That's more what a parrot does, right? Right. That's more what a parrot does. I squawk like a parrot and make a mental note not to write like a parrot. Jake laughs, but I'm all business, absorbing his every word. So how do you sell your songs? I ask, feeling like I'm interviewing Jake about my newfound passion, songwriting. God, no, we don't sell our songs, Jake says, like I've struck a chord. Never sell your copyrights, you hear me? Never sell your copyrights. Got it. Here's an example. Let's say you and I write a song together called... He exaggerates his drawl. Got it, good. Got it, good, I mimic. The Dixie Chicks could record Got It Good tomorrow for their next album. He pauses. Actually, I think the girls are recording one of my songs for their next album. So let's say they want Got It Good as well. We'll make money on album sales and also on every public performance, every radio play. Amazing. So the girls will send us a check, right? Jake laughs. The girls don't have to worry about that. They're focused on the art like they should be. The check comes from ASCAP or BMI. As who or BM what? They're performance rights organizations that protect musical copyrights. They monitor public performances of music and make sure we get paid for usage of our songs. We keep our writer's share, he laughs, and our full publisher's share, if we're smart. Songwriting? What a brilliant way to make a living. You're a genius, Jake. I gawk through my marijuana haze as if he's handed me the key to life. Thanks. That's nice to hear. I've always loved lyrics. You ever written a song? Nope. Never even thought of it until the day I first heard your name. Now that's poetry, my dear. Poets make the best songwriters. You got any interest? Yes. I've been writing poetry as long as I can remember. I frown. I don't know the first thing about music, though. You know more than you know. Jake picks up a journal pad and flips through it. He turns to a specific place and rips out four or five pages. My right hand shoots straight to my heart. What are you doing? I clutch my chest as if he's torn a limb from a baby. It's okay. It's just an old lyric me and Hudson Black started and never finished. He waves the pages at me. Take a crack at it. I'm curious to see how you do with my writing. 
I'm too embarrassed to admit I've never heard of Hudson Black, although I assume he's famous by the weight of his name as it rolls off Jake's tongue. He pulls a gray envelope from his duffel bag and shoves the journal pages inside. I'm not comfortable handing over my journals, and I certainly can't send them back and forth through the mail. We'll have to figure out a system that'll work with the distance between us. It would be ideal for you to be in Nashville with me. A red flag whips my face. But I guess that's not meant to happen. He hands me the envelope. Type this up for me. Let's see if you can read my writing, because God knows I can't. Perfect. I hold the envelope to my chest. We'll figure out our system, Jake. Don't you worry. I have no desire to be responsible for your journals. Anyhow, they're far too precious. I could never hand over my journals, so I'd never expect you to. So you keep a journal? I have about six or seven filled. Mine are all different shapes and sizes, though. I wink. My system's not as advanced as yours. What are they filled with? Lots of poetry, and he cuts me off. Come on! What? You really have six or seven journals filled with poetry. I do. Half of it could be used as evidence to have me convicted. Really? Well, I gotta read some of this. If you're lucky. Jake's intense tone segues into a lightheartedness. Let's go for fish. He wags his eyebrows. I know how you like Toro. Hesitation sucker punches me in the gut. Paranoia sets in from the weed. What about your storage unit, I ask? It's my job to keep you on track, right? This feels too close for comfort. Way too good. Way too bad. Way too right. And way too wrong. Jake Easton is my boss, and nothing more. We'll do the storage thing first thing in the morning. Jake raises his hands like a Boy Scout. Scout's honor. My mind spins. What kind of job is this? Why am I smoking marijuana with my boss? Why am I considering an early dinner with him? This sounds more like a date. Why am I already wondering how I'm going to say goodnight to him after dinner? I look at my watch. It's five o'clock. Okay, I relent. But I have rehearsal in Brentwood at eight. That's plenty of time, right? I feel secure knowing I have a hard out. Jake's eyes flicker at my resistance. Plenty of time. He picks up my car keys and smiles. It's my turn to drive. Thank God. Lay down in the heather